Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea. Episode 20. Ooh. We come to you from Mokinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina Nations, the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes on the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca. The sources for the show today, history.com, britannica.com, and asiasociety.org. Thank you so much for downloading episode 20. We're no longer teenagers. <laughs> We've made it to our 20s. Yeah. Ooh, what were you doing when you were 20? Oh, um, drinking I, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was living <laughs> I, I was living in fear in Toronto. Oh, fun. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What a great way to spend your days. Oh, it was lovely. Uh, thank you for downloading uh 20 episodes. It's great. This is so much fun and Yeah. Um, I'm having a great time learning and learning about how awful the world has been at, in at almost every step of the way in almost every place in the history of society. I literally have a note halfway through this episode that's like, why do we start a history podcast? History fucking sucks. Yeah. When we capital S U X sucks. So super dated uh, reference here, but some inside baseball. Mm. Um, when we do these shows, like we don't want to have back to back super downer shitty episodes. Um, and we want to try to mix things up with like some lighter episodes sometimes like, Hey, look at this, our favorite landmarks and stuff like that. (laughs) And literally one of the ways we thought to brighten up the show was a dude dying of cancer. That, that was one of the like bright, happy episodes. (laughs) That's where history has got. Oh, Terrence Um, Fox. Yeah, exactly. Like, obviously there was a lot of positives that came from that. Not from him dying, but from like from that episode his, his effect his um, ripples yeah exactly like th- there were positives in that story but mm-hmm. it was still like the end is like oh and by the way yeah um but that's where we are at like so many of these things like last week was just like the potential fall of democracy in the 70s <laughs> in the states and that was the light happy one yeah that was us getting to joke and go <laughs> yeah exactly so today's not going to be as jokey as we talk about the koreas yeah, yeah. So we are, uh, as I'm sure that the show title has told you, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the unified peninsula of Korea and how it is no longer that. <laughs> and the ununifying of it. And the ununifying of it, which took a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so thank you so much for downloading. Uh, <laughs> rate, review, subscribe, wherever you do that. We super appreciate it. If you want to send us an email, we had no idea podcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on Instagram and talk to us on Instagram at we had no idea podcast is where you'll find us. Uh, so with that, societies on the Korean Peninsula appear in records as early as the fourth century BCE, which of course we've learned via this podcast and <laughs> potentially you googling it yourself uh, that that is before Common Era, which we are now living in. Uh, so everything this side of zero is CE. Uh, Competing groups and kingdoms on the peninsula merged into a common national identity. After a period of conflict among the three kingdoms, most of the Korean peninsula was unified in 660-ish CE, a made-up fucking year. (laughs) Korea reached... uh, 
Korea reached close to its present-day boundaries during the Koryo dynasty, from which its western name, Korea, is derived. The following Chosun dynasty from 1392 to 1910 further consolidated Korea's national boundaries and distinctive cultural practices. Within Korea, there are regional differences expressed in dialect and customs, but the differences are far outweighed by an overall cultural fabric. Back-to-back invasions by the Japanese and the Manchus in the late 1500s and early 1600s 1600s saw Korea enforce a policy of strictly limited contact with all other countries. For some 250 years, Korea was at peace and internally stable, but from the perspective of outsiders who encountered Korea in the 19th century, Korea was an abnormally isolated country, a quote, hermit kingdom, as it came to be known to Westerners at the time. In the latter half of the 19th century, Korea became the object of competing imperial interests, as the Chinese empire declined and Western powers began to edge their way into Asia. Britain, France, and US each attempted to, quote, open up Korea to trade and diplomatic relations in the 1960s, but the Korean kingdom resisted. It was Japan who saw Korea open up by imposing a diplomatic treaty on Korea for the first time in 1867. So, brief recap in uh, regular language. Once again, as most stories in history go, Britain, France, and the USA were to steal a line from the wire, given a fuck when it wasn't their turn to give a fuck, <laughs> and just decided, hey, we need to, you, you guys need to be more like us. Why so are we're you going so to, weird? Well, we're going to try to come in and make you more like us. And Japan was like, well, fuck, if they're going to try to make you more like them, then we're, we're going to try to make you more like us. So, once again, the whole just putting your nose where it's not supposed to be <laughs> pops its way up into um, yeah. the, the wonderful history of this planet. Japan, China, and Russia were the main rivals for influence on Korea at the end of the 1800s, and after defeating China and Russia in a war between 1895 and 1905, Japan became the predominant power on the Korean peninsula. In 1910, Japan annexed Korea outright as a colony, and for the next 35 years, Japan ruled Korea in a manner that was strict and often brutal. Japan waged an all-out war on Korean culture. Do y'all? Ever get deja vu? <laughs> I'm getting very much John A. McDonald vibes. Yeah. No, from this. Very much. <laughs> also, uh, just a quick aside, uh, and I know this is like these are supposed to flow seamlessly between the two, and I'm ruining that now. Totally. Um, but you know how you say like 660 CE is made up? For yeah. some reason, like 1895 and 1905, while they are 10 years apart, feel like they are literal worlds apart. For right. me. Like 1905, it's like, okay, well, that was in like the century I was born in. It's 1900s. And, like it's it's like you're just leading up to the to World War One. Like the it's it is at least like something I can kind of wrap my head around where 1895 feels like like a, a bygone era of right. like medieval times. Like there's people just... are carrying around torches. Mm-hmm. I mean probably they are. Probably, but... yes. Yeah. Like it's it's probably <laughs> It's probably very similar to that, but for whatever reason, like, I think of those two as, like, a thousand years apart in my head. Totally. And honestly, looking at 1905, it looks looks like more of a fake year than 1895 does. Yeah. Like, when I go through this and I just said, yeah, like, the 660s. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. But then I see 1905 and I'm like, made up. Yeah. Didn't happen. Totally. But 1895, I'm like, yeah, there's enough numbers above zero there. <laughs> that could happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, back to the, the point. We are very much getting some John A. McDonald vibes here. Yeah. As... Johnny! 
Schools and universities forbade speaking Korean and emphasized manual labor and loyalty to the emperor. Of Japan. Mm-hmm. We'll clarify that. Yes. Public places adopted speaking Japanese, and Japanese films were made and shared through the country. It also became a crime to teach history from non-approved texts, and authorities burned over 200,000 Korean historical documents, essentially wiping out the historical memory of Korea. So again, getting some deja vu. And also the school thing, getting some like current day vibes. Totally. During the occupation, Japan took over Korea's labor and land. Nearly 100,000 Japanese families settled in Korea with land they had been given. Given to you by who from who? They chopped down trees by the millions and planted non-native species, transforming Korea into somewhere they didn't feel like home for the Koreans. Nearly 725,000 Korean workers were made to work in Japan and its other colonies. And as World War II began, Japan forced hundreds of thousands of Korean women into life as comfort women, sexual slaves who served in military brothels. Korean people and cultural symbols were used, abused, and totally disregarded during Japanese colonization. The Royal Palace, built in Seoul in the 1300s, saw the Japanese colonial government tear down over a third of the complex's historic buildings, and the remaining structures were turned into a tourist attraction for Japanese visitors. The occupation government also worked to assimilate Koreans with the help of language, religion, and education. Again... Shout out to the OG John A. MacDonald on these. Boy, is this you? <laughs> Shinto shrines intended for Japanese family became places of forced worship for Koreans. The colonial government made Koreans, quote, worship the gods of Imperial Japan, including dead emperors and the spirits of war heroes who had helped them conquer Korea earlier in the century. Bro. Bro. Mm -hmm. So we're getting a mix here of... Like some John A. McDonald and some like weird Confederate soldier totally. statue things totally. going on. Um, you know, it's a nice mix of old and new. This force worship was viewed as an act of cultural genocide by many Koreans and anyone with a brain. But for the colonists, hmm. it was seen as evidence that Koreans and Japanese were a single unified people. In 1939, the government made changing names an official policy after punishing and deterring Koreans from taking on Japanese-style names previously. Under the law, Korean families were, quote, graciously... Allowed to choose Japanese surnames. Like... Yeah, super shitty. Oh, I just... And the thing... The thing that I keep coming back to is like, you look at Japan today. Mm -hmm. You and I went there and I was like, they're such nice people. They like really, you know, respect as like part of their culture. And then I'm like, but fuck! Yeah. <laughs> they were not nice. No. They were the uh, antonym of nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, it's like... It's like they've just sampled all the shitty parts from history and are like, and we're going to do all of this here. Totally. Japan's like, we always do everything better than everybody else. <laughs> right. We've, including yeah. colonization. Yeah. We have taken... John and McDonald, sit the fuck down. Yeah. Is, I assume, what... A Japanese and English-speaking person said at one point. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, at least 84% of all Koreans took on Japanese-style names, since people who lacked Japanese names were not recognized by the colonial bureaucracy, that's a tough one, and were shut out of everything from mail delivery to ration cards. So take this name or you don't get food for your family. 
It's like, what do you do? Of course you take the fucking name. Mm-hmm. This is brutal. At the end of World War II, the United States and the USSR captured the peninsula. Captured. And ended Japanese rule there. Part of Japan admitting defeat finally after the war was giving up occupied territory vis-a-vis capture Korea. <laughs> Korea was divided into two occupation zones that were intended to be temporary, but it's never that easy, is it? No. This is the part where I wrote, why do we start a history podcast? <laughs> history sucks. <laughs> so you have the, the people of Korea who have been through this awfulness for the last 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. 35. Right, yeah, I spoke, yeah, 30, yeah, by the time this is done, sorry. Um, I looked at 1939, I was like, that's totally when World War II ended. Um, <laughs> yeah, and in a boat. Yeah, yeah, it's not like we did that for our first show and spent totally. like months studying up on it beforehand. Dude, that was like 19 episodes ago, I can't be held responsible. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, the times we've had. I was so young. Um, yeah, I was so naive to just how awful this world has been for literally ever. <laughs> we were like, it doesn't get worse than Hitler, right? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. How are we going to follow this up? Oh, well, you thought. <laughs> um, but anyway, could you, like, 35 years you've been going through this hell and having to change your name or else you don't get McDonald's flyers in the mail. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, maybe, maybe things will get better. We, like, the, the bad Japanese people have been forced out and in yeah. come the Americans and the Russians. What could go wrong? Control over the Korean Peninsula was divided along the 38th parallel between the United States and the USSR. From 1945 to 1948, the Soviet army and its proxies set up a communist regime in the north. In the south, a military government was formed, supported directly by the United States. Our friends who like to get involved in shit. Right, yes. Now, um, certainly, uh, USSR... do that as well well i'm not oh yeah no i know yeah um (laughs) if it's a competition we all lose (laughs) yes yeah that's fair uh the soviets began a short-lived reign of terror in northern korea that quickly politicized the division by driving thousands of refugees south the two sides could not agree on a formula that would unify korea Hmm. i don't know like letting them govern themselves and supporting them from a fucking distance because you went and ruined their country so that's a, a direct quote from the United Nations uh, in 1947. They did. <laughs> hmm. IDK. Um, yeah, the, the, the first use of that acronym goes back to 1947. Credit to the, the UN. Nations. Yeah. <gasps> Another one. Um, the United Nations assumed responsibility of the country through the, uh, though the U.S. military remained in control of the South until 1948. While the Soviet policies were widely popular with the bulk of the North's labor and peasant population, most middle-class Koreans fled south of the 38th parallel, where the majority of the Korean population resides today. Meanwhile, the U.S.-supported regime in the south clearly favored anti-communist, right-leaning capitalist elements. Quote, the ultimate objective was for the Soviet Union and the United States to leave. And let the Koreans figure it out, says Michael Robinson, professor of East Asian Studies and History at Indiana University. He goes on to say, quote, the trouble was that the Cold War intervened and everything that was tried to create a middle ground or to try to reunify the peninsula is thwarted by both the Soviet Union and the United States not wanting to give in to the other, end quote. 
So, a giant pissing match with Korea caught in the middle. Uh, in 1948, the United States called for a United Nations-sponsored vote for all Koreans to determine the future of the peninsula. After the North refused to participate, the South formed its own government in Seoul, led strong or led by strongly anti-communist Syngman Rhee. The North responded by installing the former communist guerrilla Kim Il-sung as the first premier of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea in the capital of Pyongyang. Neither was content to remain on their side of the 38th parallel, and border battles were common. Nearly 10,000 North and South Korean soldiers were killed in battle before the war even began. Because, surprise, the Korean War broke up between the Soviet and Chinese-backed northern half of Korea and the United States and United Nations-backed South. In early 1949, Kim Il-sung spoke with Soviet leader Joseph Stalin that the time had come for an invasion of the South. Stalin refused, concerned about the relative unpreparedness of the North Korean armed forces and about possible U.S. involvement. But with China releasing Korean veterans to North Korea and the USSR providing equipment and training, by 1950, the North Koreans enjoyed substantial advantages over the South in every category of war. In spring of 1950, Kim once again visited Moscow and the invasion was approved. So the shindig officially starts in June of 1950 when 75,000 soldiers from the North Korean People's Army poured across the 38th parallel. This invasion was the first military action of the Cold War and came as a surprise to American officials. As far as they were concerned, this was not simply a border dispute between two unstable dictatorships on the other side of the globe. Instead, many feared it was the first step in a communist campaign to take over the world. What are we going to do tonight, Brain? <laughs> the same thing we do every night, Pinky. Do it. Try to take over the world. Ah, okay, okay, okay. I saw you had that in there, and I was like, what on earth is she talking about? And then we got to the, we got to the Pinky and the Brain reference. By July, American troops had entered the war on South Korea's behalf. The Americans felt it was a war against the forces of international communism itself. Wow. For... Sorry, I was trying to say you go. Okay. For almost eight weeks, U.S. soldiers fought and died with South Koreans. Weakened by inadequate weapons, limited numbers, and uncertain leadership, U.S. troops were frequently met by streams of refugees fleeing south, which increased the threat of guerrilla infiltration. These conditions produced unfortunate attacks on Korean civilians, such as firing on hundreds of refugees at a railroad viaduct west of the Naktong River. I just want to say, when I read that, a literal fucking light bulb went off in my head um, that people would be like, help, like, help, help. I need help. They'd be like running south of the 30th parallel. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, come in, like get, get into this van that, you know, a, a ton of other refugees are in. And the person would be like, actually, I am a person of war. Yeah. And now I'm going to blow this up. Yeah. Uh, uh, Just awful. And that led to not trusting anyone and then... Exactly. Thousands of innocent people killed. Like thousands of actual people that are like, I don't want to be part of this. Like, I literally just want to exist on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. Casualties started adding up on both sides, and America tried to find an agreement with North Korea as they thought this would be the war to launch everybody and their treaties into World War III. Finally, in July 1953, the Korean War came to an end. About 5 million soldiers and civilians lost their lives in what many in the U.S. refer to as the Forgotten War. For the lack of attention it received compared to more well-known conflicts like World War I and II and the Vietnam War. 
The Korean War lasted for three years from 1950 to 53, which killed at least 2.5 million people and did little to resolve the question of which regime represented the true Korea. One of the, the real, like, I mean, all of this is heartbreaking, as we discussed. Of course, yeah. But one of the real, I guess, kind of head scratchers or, or one of the real sad parts of this was after they had kind of decided, okay, this isn't going anywhere, so let's stop killing each other and return our prisoners of war, as that's apparently something you're supposed to do after Armistice. war. Armistice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, war is done. Um, these are now just prisoners of, so can you send them back our way? Mm -hmm. um, and the number of prisoners that were expected to be had compared to the number of prisoners that were actually had ended up being um, quite different. Vastly and so, different. Yeah, that, that led to, A, uh, a lot of, oh, well, yeah, we'll send over, I mean, we only have a couple of thousand, we'll send them over, and then it was more guerrilla tactics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that extended things a little bit longer, but then it also kind of made people realize that, um, oh, a lot more people died in this thing than we were initially anticipating because we just thought you captured them all and it turns out you just killed everyone. Yeah, but um, there was a lot of like, so they have these like, there's prisoners of war, POWs, but there's also um, MIA troops. Just like, we don't know what happened to them. We don't know yes. if they were captured or what. Um, and so a lot of these numbers uh, that were like very skewed kind of leads everyone to believe that... Um, a ton of South Koreans died in communist hands from like torture, execution, starvation, medical mistreatment, you know, really great stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Um, so the armistice, which is a fancy word for saying that everyone just put down your guns and stop shooting each other. Yeah, please. Um, oh, can't we all just get along? Yes. Can we just bake a cake like we used to? <laughs> Um, that ended the conflict in 1953 and left Nobody the peninsula divide. I'm glad you cleared that up. Nobody yeah. said that. There, there were people listening that was like, oh, wow, they wanted to bake cakes. I wonder why they didn't mention the the previous cake baking of these you know, two sides. peace cake. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing. Um, it left the peninsula divided basically the same way as it was before. There was a demilitar... Whole, I didn't think I would have as much trouble saying that. Massachusetts <laughs> Demilitarized zone. That's still not perfect, but I'm rolling with it. Running, I'm leaving all of this in. Running yeah. roughly along the 38th parallel. After the Korean War, South Korea transformed into a liberal democracy and tried to purge itself of the remnants of Japanese rule. The country prosecuted a small number of colonial collaborators immediately after World War II, and some of their land was confiscated. Today, disputes continue about how and whether to prosecute those who worked with the Japanese government during occupation. Unlike another Cold War era separation between East and West Germany, which we also learned about, mm -hmm. there has been extremely little movement across the DMZ between North and South Korea since 1953. Yeah, that, that was... A big difference in this one. It's like back then it seemed like people were hopping over and it was mm -hmm. like that there certainly wasn't the conflict that there is here. And then eventually they just tore the wall down. And I wonder if there was a bit of like, this will work itself out. It'll be fine. And now it's, oh, no, no, the two sides uh, hate each other forever. And now it's been like literally 70 years. Yeah. Jeez. And just like barely anyone goes across ever. Like it's crazy. Yeah. And even just like, even now you have to get like a special visa. You have to be approved. Mm -hmm. If you're media to go to North Korea, like they're like, we only let in four of those a year. Yeah. South Korea still has ties to Western society and a U.S. military presence. Whether that is wanted or not, I am not sure. 
They've developed a robust economy and in recent decades has made steps towards becoming a fully democratic nation. Meanwhile, on the other side of the coin, North Korea remained an isolated hermit kingdom as they were in the past, particularly after the collapse of the Soviet bloc in the early 1990s. You know, after the Soviet Union disbanded. Throw back to me not knowing what a union was and that it's generally between more than one thing. And economically underdeveloped, as well as a virtual police state ruled by a single family for three generations. The North's dedicated efforts to develop a nuclear program have also greatly heightened tensions with South Korea and its allies. Despite efforts at diplomacy under South Korea's current president, Moon Jae-in, the stark differences between the two Koreas were on full display in the run-up to the 2018 Winter Olympic Games. Even as South Koreans began welcoming athletes from around the world to the Winter Games, Kim Jong-un's regime in the North put on a military parade in Pyongyang's historic Kim Il-sung Square. As CNN reported, four of the country's missiles were on display in the parade as Kim watched from a balcony, then spoke about the evils of imperialism. While South Korea still grapples with the fallout of Japan's brutal occupation, it hasn't forgotten its resistance. March 1st, the day of the independence protest in 1919, is a national holiday in South Korea, a reminder not just of the resilience of the Korean people, but of the years of occupation they withstood. Mm -hmm. And you know that I love to end on a good note and i feel like march 1st being their national holiday is a great way to end but i also looked up some reviews of kim il-sung square oh, on google reviews because it's my favorite thing to do okay um i would like to start with floppy pingus 97 okay Says, so glad I came. It was a lovely view of the Supreme Leader. <laughs> Corona sucks, said. Kim Il-sung came out of his grave to lick my face. Fantastic service. 10 out of 10. Recommend again. Jeez. Uh, Miguel Boco says, as a professional mathematician, I wanted to investigate this famous square. After acquiring a travel visa to North Korea for three days, I took out my lengthy collection of measuring sticks and found that the square isn't actually a square, but rather a rectangle. I am forever disappointed in Kim Jong-un for lying to the faces of true Korea and the rest of the world. One star. What other lies have been told? What other lies have been, have been told? And then my, um, at least my favorite name, uh, not necessarily my favorite review. Splish Splash, Your Opinions Are Trash, says, Absolutely incredible, wonderful, and beautiful. Long live the supreme leader of the DPRK. And five stars. So thank you, Splish Splash, Your Opinions Are Trash. Uh, you know I love looking up Google reviews of places <laughs> that probably shouldn't have Google reviews. Yeah. Uh, Kim Il-sung Square does indeed have a 3.6 out of 5 star rating on, on uh, Google reviews. I bet if you went to North Korea, yeah. uh, you wouldn't see those. If the Google know. reviews. Yeah. Well, or, certainly not a 3.6 out of 5. No, no, it'll be 5 out of 5. 6 out of 5. Yeah. We love it here. We have broke Google. <laughs> Good. So this was another one that I knew literally none of this. Like, I, I kind of assumed, like, no, again, not knowing any of this, that Korea at some point just, like, overtook a place and you are now South Korea. And then yeah. something happened between the two sides or something along those lines. I had no idea how gestures aggressively at world around us all of that happened like that 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 was yeah i didn't know any of this this was crazy to me 
Totally. Uh, yeah, and when we were in Japan, actually, I feel like super, super, mm, what's the word? Mm, ignorant is probably a really good word mm-hmm. for how I, well, am. I'll say that and was. There is actually a monument for um, or to remember Koreans that were killed by the bomb because there were so many of them living in Japan at the time. And I think now it makes uh, way more sense to me because it looked like there had been some controversy around it. And I think that that was kind of Japanese pride being like, well, we didn't have them here. But it's like, yes, you did. You forced them here. Mm -hmm. So I think that while it's nice that they have something commemorating, you know, the unfortunate um, souls that were there that day and didn't need to be there, I also am like, you are very bad people in the past. Yeah. And it's hard to... Hard to reconcile that. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard to reconcile that. Yeah, much like it is here with what's with everything going on in yeah. Canada right now, right? Yeah. Like there is there is a lot of kind of realizing, not just again because of a, a history podcast out of Calgary, um, <laughs> but like just with everything going on, that there's a lot of realizing how awful it's been for like almost everyone for forever and so there's been a lot of that happening and i think a lot of that too is because like we've just had more time to sit around and think because what else are we doing so totally the the pandemic has let us kind of focus on issues that matter and not yeah kind of be servants to the overturn of news Mm -hmm. media yeah the the news cycle and all of that yeah yeah. um so thank you for downloading our natural transition here thank you for downloading our super fun upbeat always happy podcast (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we do truly appreciate it and we do hope that you um if you don't learn as much as we do because you are an intellectual we hope that you at least enjoy listening uh so rate review subscribe and we will talk to you next week about the Olympics. Woo! But not about sports. Figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>